Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here's Shahan J. Haraja and Babak Hayeri. Hey, everybody. This is the College Football Survivor Show, where we're all about the race for the College Football Playoff Championship. I'm Babak Hayeri, and I'm joined by the infinitely informed Shahan J. Haraja, National College Football Writer for CBS Sports. You can find us on X and TikTok at CFB Survivor Show, where we have video highlights of the show, run polls, and you can always send us feedback. As a podcast, we always appreciate it when you take a moment to like, rate, and subscribe to our show wherever you find us. Good reviews help folks find the show. We're on a mission to find the ultimate survivor in the college football playoff race with a pair of games coming up on January 1st. We've been going through each playoff team and talking with those who cover them best. today. It's the Pac-12's final champion, the Washington Huskies, who've battled their way to a perfect 13-0 and number two playoff ranking. And let me tell you, not every 13-0 team can say that. So, you ready to find out who let the dogs out, Shahan? Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. You know, I was really high on Washington coming into the year. I didn't understand why people didn't see them at this level of team. I mean, even going into that Pac-12 championship game, they were nine and a half point underdogs. I'm excited for this one. I, th- I think that they're one of the most interesting teams in the country. Absolutely. And we've got someone who knows them well. Christian Capel runs On Mont Lake, a site and newsletter dedicated to sourced, insightful reporting on the University of Washington football program. He previously covered the Huskies for The Athletic and the Tacoma News Tribune, as well as Wazoo for the Spokesman Review. He co-hosts the Say Who, Say Pod podcast about all things Washington football. He's been surrounded by college football in Washington for years, and we think of no better person to talk about the upcoming semifinal date in the Sugar Bowl. Christian, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to uh, to the conversation here. Yeah, because, I mean, the Huskies came into the season with high expectations. I mean, really high expectations after that 11-2 and run. I mean, they beat Texas, uh, the team they were about to face in the Alamo Bowl, finished ranked eighth. Um, I think it's safe to say that, like a lot of teams go into a season expe- with expectations, they actually met expectations. Yeah, no doubt. Um, and they they met their own expectations, I think. You know, I think back to last year and that Alamo Bowl game against Texas. Um, they they celebrated that for a long time on the field afterward. And it felt it kind of had like a a championship vibe about it. And I remember thinking, man, this was a this was a nice way for them to cap a, a bounce back season. Kalen DeBoer's first year, they they'd gone eleven and two, um, but they also didn't play for the Pac twelve championship. Right. They sat at home and watched USC and Utah play. And I think that that kind of stuck in the back of their minds a little bit. They felt like they were that kind of team last year, but squandered the the opportunity to get there with those two midseason losses to UCLA and, and a really bad Arizona State team. Um, and, you know, by the time they played that Alamo Bowl, Michael Penix Jr. had already decided to come back. Braylon Trice, their big edge rusher, had already decided to come back. A couple other key players had already said they were coming back in 2023, and they were waiting on Romo Dunze 
Um, but it kind of felt like he was probably going to be um, part of that crew too. So, you know, I, I think they already had had the thought that 2023 could be really special, could be the next step. They spoke openly all off season about chasing a national championship and Kalen, excuse me, Kalen DeBoer didn't really do anything to tamp that down. You know, he's not a boisterous guy. He's not a super cocky guy who's going to make bold proclamations publicly. But if you ask him, you know, do you think this team's capable of winning a championship? Do you think these guys, um, you know, hold that as a goal? Do you talk about it? They didn't shy away from it. You know, I, I think as soon as Michael Penix Jr. decided and, and announced that he was coming back in 2023, that really set in motion this idea of, of all in on, on, on the 23 season. And um, yeah, I don't think there's anybody associated with that program that, that didn't think they could be here in, in the playoff this year. You know, it's interesting. So I was back at Pac-12 Media Days in 2022, whenever it was Kalen DeBoer's first time. And one of the questions I asked him was, this was a team that went four and eight the year before, but the year before that they were competitive for the Pac-12. They would have played in the 2020 Pac-12 championship game. You know, what do you think he's added to this program? And I mean, I mean, when you talk about what is it, 20 wins in a row at this point, I mean, how do you do something like that? Yeah, it's it, maybe it's weird to say that a, a good team's um, best skill is that they know how to win games, but uh, that does just sort of seem to be their um, their 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 vibe right now. Like, I I think you start with the fact that that wasn't really a four and eight roster in twenty twenty one. It was a weird year, and that they were not a good team. And there was a lot that they didn't do well, but you, you could see some scheme issues while also seeing some like really good individual talent. It was obvious that Romo Dunze and Jalen McMillan, for example, were really talented receivers who could thrive in the right offensive scheme with the, with the right quarterback throwing it to them and all those things. So, I mean, when you ask what did Kalen DeBoer bring to Washington, like the, the first really simple answer is Michael Penix Jr., right? Because he'd coached him his redshirt freshman year in 2019 at Indiana. They had a really good relationship from there. I mean, Washington is not on Michael Penix's radar at all if Kalen DeBoer is not hired as their head coach. I mean, that was immediately intriguing to him. So that was a huge piece of it. Um, you know, I, I know guys on last year's team, like kind of their, their senior leader, captain type, said they really appreciated that the new coaching staff was kind of all ears with them and listened to them and, you know, wanted their feedback, feedback on what the, the core principles and foundation of how they operated should be and kind of, you know, involve them in those conversations. And I, I think that won over the roster right away. Um, yeah, they, they also were pretty diligent about re-recruiting guys like Romo Dunze and Jalen McMillan to keep them from going in the transfer portal and sitting down with them and showing them film and saying, look, this is, this is what it looked like at Fresno state the last two years. Here's how many targets our top guys got. Here's how much we throw the ball. What do you think? And they, you know, they had that track record to fall back on and, and that helped a lot. And, you know, at, at both of the last two PAC 12 media days, Kalen DeBoer has shown up with, a, a whole list of of strength and conditioning statistics and the, you know all these guys added this much to their bench max and their squat max and their short shuttle times and this guy ran this 40 time and um all, all these all these gains each of the last two years that you know i know they they feel really good about their strength and conditioning program under ron mckeefree who came with kaylin DeBoer. um from Fresno State and feel like, you know, their winter conditioning kind of gives them a leg up and those sort of things. So I, I just think program wide, um, they hired someone who knows what it looks like 
has a vision, knows how to execute it, kind of has the blueprint, um, and and maybe that's what helps them win some of these games in the margins and, and stay undefeated. Yeah, there's so much I want to to follow up on there. Um, not only the their intangible ability to just come up with victories, but uh, you know I want to actually go to sort of the offensive line only because you know they won the Joe Moore Award, all 800 pounds of it, and uh, yet many of these are the same components that were on that 21. A 2021 team under uh, Jimmy Lake. So are they kind of a, a good example of a microcosm? Because, I mean, we've talked about, as you mentioned, though, Dunes and McMillan, people love to talk about that, but that offensive line is just so tremendous, especially with the pass blocking, because um, they've kept everyone, almost everyone on that on that same line. Am I right? Yeah, I mean, so last year, that was really the case. I mean, they were doing it with guys they'd had in the 2021 season, you know, some who who were maybe playing at way less than 100% that year, who got healthy for 22. Um, but I think that this staff got here and maybe evaluated that year and thought, you know what, this... I remember Ryan Grubb sitting down with Ryan Grubb, their offensive coordinator, before their first spring. And you know, when when the most recent thing that I, that O-line had done was block for a rushing attack that ranked like 120th in the country in yards per rush and he said then like yeah i think that this can be an elite pass blocking group i think this can be a really good offensive line like the the skill is there and i think there was a belief that in the their scheme there were some physical traits that they could take advantage of with that group that that hadn't been taken advantage of in 2021 that before they were maybe being asked to create running lanes and more in a phone booth where i think this staff looked at them and thought there's a lot of size there, but what makes their bigger guys valuable is that they can really move. And so, you know, getting getting the ball outside a little bit, letting their letting their tackles move their feet, taking advantage of some of that athleticism and some of that quickness. And then moving it to 2022, I mean, it, it, 22 and 23, like Troy Fautanu was a 2019 recruit who was still developing a little bit. And, and, and now you're getting him in his fourth and fifth year as uh, an all-conference, you know, fringe All-America type tackle who's probably going to be a high draft pick. Roger Rosengarten was a four-star recruit in the 2020 class who's now in his fourth year, second year as a starter at right tackle. Those have been really important players. Their starting center is a redshirt freshman who's listed at 275 pounds, Parker Brailsford, um, who started the year at right guard. And even that was kind of a surprise that he won that job coming out of camp a little bit. They've been really high on him but you know, extremely strong for, for his size. He's the one smaller guy in that group, but he's one of the stronger guys they have. Um, he's a second-team all-conference guy, and then they got a couple of, of older guys, fifth-year juniors in this in this COVID eligibility era, um, Julius Bulow and Nate Kalepa, who have filled in at guard, where you know they did lose their, their three interior linemen from last year, both their guards and their center. Um, they've replaced those guys with with a combination of veterans and, and Brailsford, who's on the younger end, and um, yeah, had, had quite a bit of continuity, allowed seven sacks last year and, and 11 this year, um, top five in FBS and sacks allowed in both of those seasons. And, and then also have really developed their running game. So you've, you've kind of seen that group take the next step as the seasons progressed. You know, you've, you've had the opportunity to, uh, you know, be around other head coaches, other good head coaches in the past. But I mean, when you look at Kalen DeBoer, I mean, the, the numbers speak for themselves, right? It, what's whatever it is, you know, 114 and 11 as a head coach. Uh, what? I mean, I, I don't want to make it as simple as this. What is the secret sauce with Kalen DeBoer? And, you know, what do you think it is that's been to such a large extent transferable from uh, NAIA Sioux Falls to 
uh, you know, Indiana to Fresno State to now to Washington? Yeah, it's it's a good question. I mean, his kind of overall like philosophy and credo, which is is borrowed from his college coach Bob Young um, at, at the University of Sioux Falls, is winners win because that's what winners do. And so it's this you know the idea being that if you are excellent and pursuing excellence in all facets of your life, then when you get on the field on Saturdays, you're not trying to do anything that you're not doing on a regular basis. You're, you know, your the coaching staff is not asking players to then perform above themselves or really rise to the occasion. You just, you conduct yourself like a winner in all areas of life. Well, that's what you're going to do on the field on Saturday. You're going to make the play because you, you care about making the play and everything you do in, in life. So um, I'm sure every coaching staff <laughs> preaches some version of that. Right. But I think that's, that's kind of the founding principle. And it's, I, as a, an outside observer, it seems like the the leadership there, it's like a positive confidence, you know, um, where uh, they they believe in the players and it's a it's a positive leadership style. It's it's not a do this or else. It's hey, if if you do this and everybody does it together, you see what what the team's capable of type of thing. Um, they're they seem to be very genuine coaches on this staff, starting with Kalen DeBoer. Um, I don't know that there's a version of him you see publicly that isn't what uh, players see behind closed doors. From what I've heard, people talk about him that way, the same way you, you kind of hear um, people talk about Chris Peterson. So that those, those similarities and those comparisons started getting made pretty early on. Um, but I, I think where there's maybe a difference is that, you know, Kalen DeBoer is, is really, I, I think he's just thinking all the time about, what he has to do to win the next football game. And he's extremely competitive. I think he's extremely confident in a way that, again, maybe doesn't come through if you just look at a transcript of what he says at a press conference, but it's always there kind of quietly burning behind the behind the surface a little bit. He's not the most boisterous guy, but he, I mean, him and Ryan Grubb and, and that staff, I think they're about as confident as anybody in, in what they do and, and what they're capable of. And they have one hell of a game coming up on January 1st as they prepare for it. Um, you know, how much of what they use to defeat Oregon a second time is going to come into play for the preparations against Texas? Because, you know, a lot has been said about the defensive line of Texas and who they have back there, Devondre Sweat, Murphy, et cetera. But how much of what they did to prep Oregon do you think is going to help them as they get ready for Texas? Was that a good transition for them to go from Texas, from Oregon to Texas? In terms of, of the physicality of the defense they're going to face, I think so. I'll be curious to see if they try to attack them the same way. I mean, they really wanted to run the ball against Oregon. And, you know, I think that's kind of, kind of building off that last point like that's an expression of their confidence in in what they want to do like you wouldn't necessarily look at the way Washington had had played all season and look at the way Oregon had played all season and think oh yeah just give it to Dylan Johnson 28 times and and you'll be great he's had some really good rushing performances that's kind of been the 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 key to their offense this second half of the season when there's maybe been some games where the passing game wasn't clicking as much but um you know I don't I don't know do they come out and 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 try to take it to them and be the more physical team and try to win that game in the trenches against you know a couple of D tackles of one of whom's the Outland Trophy winner and goes 360 pounds and all those things you know I don't think they're going to abandon the run 
yeah, I think they see the running game as a central component of their offense. You know, even though they're known for their passing game and, you know, even though Michael Penix Jr. is always going to be the focal point, um, you know, I still think that you're going to see them try to try to establish that. I think more than anything, you know, they they have a game of of tape watching their offense uh, and their defense against Steve Sarkeesian and against Pete Kwiatkowski uh, from, from a year ago. Obviously, Texas is a, a much different team than than that one. And I think Washington would probably say that they are, too. But, um, yeah, I given a month to prepare, um, you, you're always going to see some wrinkles. That's what makes bowl season fun and, you know, especially playoff season fun. But um, the, these two teams should know each other pretty well. I feel like I have to ask, what is it with Arizona State? What is the issue that they keep running into with this one particular team? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. So they're going to leave the Pac-12 having not won in Tempe since 2001. So who knows? Wow. Who knows when their next win? Yeah, what like, is that? They lost 12, 12 straight games to Oregon, but maybe the more like inexplicable streak that they're leaving behind is is that one. They did get them, you know, obviously a couple times in Seattle, but. Yeah, I don't know because it's coaching staff to coaching staff. It's different styles. It's different schemes. Um, ASU and and Cal has kind of been one too. That's kind of the 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 bug. Not that they always lose to them, but that there's just always something weird going on. I think this year, I mean, they caught them a week after the big, huge emotional win over Oregon. I think in retrospect, you know, we found out Michael Penix Jr. was was really sick in that game, and is still sick. I think in the next week against Stanford. Um, uh, he probably wasn't the only one. Um, you know, they 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 had some injuries on the interior O line, like Julius Bulow, um, one of their guards had been had been out uh, with an injury that that he'd suffered a few games before that, and they're moving some pieces around there. And I think ASU just had a great game plan for him. I mean, they they blitzed like crazy up the middle. They sent pressure. Um, you know, I think they kind of called that game like they had nothing to lose a little bit, and and were really aggressive. Um, and they've got some, you know, some pretty good athletes on that side of the ball. One of whom, BJ Green, their their edge rusher, is actually um, committed to to transfer to Washington. So, uh, Husky fans have gotten a good look at him. But yeah, I think ASU just played really well. You know, I think they had a a well coached defense and a, a good game plan, and maybe we're catching Washington not in like the most perfect state of mind ever coming on again, coming off the Oregon game, and and maybe with some illness going around. And um, yeah, they they got after him. You know, I think that obviously we talk so much about what they do offensively, but, you know, when you look at this Washington defense, obviously at times maligned, but it feels as an outsider, like they've been situationally really good. That's, you know, in fourth quarters at the end of drives that they've kind of stood up. I mean, what's kind of your read, especially going against a Texas offense that is wildly explosive, wildly consistent? Yeah, I mean, that ASU game... They they won basically because they got a pick six in the fourth quarter and held them to one touchdown. And I remember, I think I wrote after that game, like, is it is it time to to wonder if Washington's defense actually might be good? Um, and then they gave up almost 500 yards to Stanford and 42 points to USC, and it was like, mm, yeah, maybe maybe not. But they they just kind of make plays, you know. They're like uh, the the confidence I think. Uh, on that side of the ball is that if they just keep swinging and hanging there and don't give up the explosives and make teams string drives together, that eventually they will make a play, right? They'll get the big strip sack of Caleb Williams late in the first half at USC. They'll get a big sack late in the fourth quarter. They'll get a fourth down stop. 
they'll get a big interception. Um, so, you know, they, they haven't been the most sound defense, uh, not giving up yards. And, you know, if, if Quinn Ewers has time to throw, um, they, they got a lot of really quick, they got, got some, some fast talent. They got some big talent. You know, they got it. Obviously, Jatavion Sanders is a, a matchup nightmare at tight end. Donnie Mitchell's a threat down the field that the Huskies didn't have to deal with in the Alamo Bowl last year. So they got a lot of weapons. Um, the key's going to be pushing the pocket. Right, like I think Washington's pass defense has been better than it was last year. They, that was kind of their big weakness team wide. Um, they'll still give up some plays. Like it's it's not an elite secondary by any means, but it's it's helped by the fact that Braylon Trice pushes the pocket so well. That Zion Tupola Fatui um, is is an, another you know really experienced guy who gets after the quarterback too on on the other side. And they don't have a ton of sacks. That's a number that's kind of been a little surprising that that is lacking. I think you you would have thought with Trice and ZTF coming back that they'd get the quarterback on the ground more often. But all season, Washington's coaches have said, "Hey, watch the tape. They're pushing the pocket. Look at Braylon Trice's you know pressures." numbers that there he's he's making a difference he's getting quarterbacks off his spot that's not always enough um but it, it does make a big difference and that's going to be the key to uh to making sure yours isn't able to distribute to some of those guys who are going to be tough uh tough chasing if they get the ball in their hands yeah it's going to be really interesting to see how if washington can extend texas's difficulties in the red zone because that's one thing that's dogged the longhorns all of this time and it seems, I mean, in your opinion, it seems like you, you're pretty optimistic that Washington can, at the very least, be as good a defense, you know, a reasonable defense, put up something that can contain them enough to, to con- maybe not, you know, shut down the uh, the Texas offense completely, but at least have them continue the issues that have plagued them in things like red zone coverage. I mean, red zone scoring conversions and things like that nature. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know, I don't know how confident I am in Washington's ability to do that, but like that's what it's going to come down to, right? Because Washington has not been a good red zone defense. Um, I I I know um, that they are pretty good at, at forcing teams to kind of chunk it down the field and and give themselves chances to make plays and you know not give up a a, a big you know seven point bomb in in one shot, but. Um, when they're backed up against the goal line, you know, there's been a couple instances where they force either a field goal or a tough fourth down decision or something. But um, that, yeah, that's that's going to be a big deal. And, you know, I, I don't know if if Washington's edge rushers have seen a, a left tackle like Texas has either, for example. So I'm, I'm real curious to see how they match up athletically. You know, I could I could easily see a shootout um, if if viewers has time to throw and, and if they're able to get the running game going a little bit, too, which I think Washington took a big step forward against Oregon shutting Bucky Irving down. So, you know, maybe they've they've got some juice coming off of that. So, you know, so much is made of Michael Penix Jr., Romo Dunze, that passing game. But, you know, I think in a lot of ways, that's going to be the chief conflict of this game is this Texas secondary versus these Washington receivers. Is there either a guy or a concept or or just something in general that you feel like Washington might try to take advantage of, uh, especially early against this Texas secondary? Yeah, I mean, it it's not like he's a secret weapon before the season you just said, "Hey, he's a, you know, potential first round draft pick," but like Jalen McMillan is healthy and they played most of the season without him, and it was easy to kind of forget what he brought to the offense, how important he was on third down, how, you know, elite he is as a, a man coverage beater, and they really relied on that in some really big moments against Oregon. Um and 
you know, on intermediate routes and the middle of the field and on on quick throws and receiver screens. And, you know, he's he's good with the ball in his hands and he's quick and he's elusive and and he can he can make those big plays down the field like Romo Dunze does, too. But, you know, it, it was kind of easy to forget just how much better they are offensively with him on the field. And then at Oregon, I mean, nine catches, 130 plus yards, a couple of deep shots that set up touchdowns for them. And it's like, oh, right. Like they've, they've got three of these guys, you know? So um, I, I would look for him to be a huge part of the game plan. Again, he clearly was against Oregon, but you know, Michael Penix Jr. throws the ball downfield, right? That's that's kind of their bread and butter. He's got right around a hundred attempts this year, I want to say, of of uh, twenty, you know, balls thrown twenty plus yards downfield, and um, completes like right around fifty percent or so, um, without having the numbers right in front of me. Um, they're they're going to take their shots. The 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 middle screen, the middle receiver screen to Romo Dunze has been a, a big play for them. Um, they like to you know throw the ball deep to him, but obviously like to get it in his hands too and, and let him create after the catch. They've been really good at, at scheming open their tight ends, um, either on screen passes or on on plays where you know you force a defender to make a decision and, and run with a different guy. And it, it's just kind of amazing how often either Devin Culp or Jack Westover are, are wide open. Um, just, just because they saw what they needed to see pre-snap and, and got into the right play and, um, got them open as a function of their scheme. So, you know, Romo Dunze is going to get his targets, right? Jalen Polk's going to get his targets. Um, I'm, I'm curious to see how they kind of use uh, Jalen McMillan and, and his versatile skill set to, to attack a defense that, you know, is, is probably going to put some pressure on the pocket. You know, as they, as we head into this game, um, well, let's say we're at we're on January second. What if Washington were to win this? What are going to be those key points that you think are going to be the deciders heading into the game? Yeah, I mean, getting getting the running game going. You know, um, running the ball against a really, really, really good run defense, and not have asking Michael Penix Jr. in the passing game to operate out of second and ten and second and nine all game. You know, could I just follow up on that real quick? So with Dylan Johnson, obviously we were talking about how they wanted a, to assert him against Oregon. Do you think we're going to see as aggressive a commitment to the run game against Texas, or will Washington want to to use just enough to keep the defense honest, but rely more on the strength of of Penix's arm? Yeah, I, I would probably say the latter. Um, I don't think that you're going to see them be stubborn about the running game. You know, I, but he's Dylan Johnson's been too important to them and and they've proven to themselves too many times that that can be a big strength for me to think that they're going to abandon it entirely. You know, I think they're going to trust their offensive line to to do its job um and to, you know, if if they're if they're not expecting them to be dominant right against uh maybe the best D-line in the country or at least one of them, then at least expect them to hold their own and allow them to do what they need to do in the running game like you said to to make the pass game more comfortable, to keep Texas on its heels, or or at least guessing and and not turn into this one dimensional offense that's just asking Michael Penix Jr. to throw the ball fifty five times. So um, you know, I this has been a, a balanced offense the second half of the year. I, I really don't expect that to change a lot. I think they they want to do what they want to do. Um, I, I'm sure you know they'll they'll see some things downfield they feel like they can take advantage of, but. You know, I, I, I think they're going to put the ball in Dylan Johnson's hands enough too to, to make sure that they can get done in the passing game what they want to get done. So beyond the running game, what other aspects do you think are going to be game deciders? 
Yeah, I mean, the the interior O line against Devondre Sweat and, <laughs> and Byron Murphy. Obviously, that that's in the running game too. But um, those guys have have been really effective pressuring the passer and and beating double teams. And I mean, you look at their pressure numbers from the interior spots. You just you don't see that a lot from those positions. Um, and obviously, they've got some talented edge rushers too. So you know, it, I I think it's it's maybe even more impressive that this offensive line has only allowed 11 sacks relative to the seven sacks they gave up last year just because of the the level of competition they faced um they didn't have to deal with Laatu Latu at UCLA this year that was a that was a plus but you know they've they've been a pretty good pass protecting team save for for maybe that Arizona State game so that's that's going to be a huge challenge they you know, have the track record to believe they can get it done, I'm sure. But, you know, that it, it, it all goes hand in hand, right? If you can't run the ball and you're in second and long, third and long all game, it's a lot harder to protect the passer because the, the defense can can come after him. So um, I'm, I'm really looking at that, you know, and it's, you know, kind of to your previous point, it's sort of the same thing I was looking for going into the Pac-12 championship game against Oregon. You know, can they can they get some push against a, a physical front and and, um, you know, avoid those situations where they have to be one dimensional? So assuming we're still on January 2nd, Washington has triumphed. Who do you think they would match up better out of the Rose Bowl? It's a good question. I guess I'd say Michigan. Um even though I think that would be a huge defensive challenge, uh, but you know, if you're talking about uh, uh, you know the, the, the timeline where they walk out of the Sugar Bowl having beaten a defense like Texas, um, you're probably feeling pretty confident that they can get something done against just about anybody, right? So, you know, I I know maybe maybe Alabama. There's some some things they could get done down the field throwing the ball against them, but just the way that Alabama has recruited and the amount of blue chip talent on that roster and, you know, going up against SEC athleticism and, and, you know, a quarterback in Jalen Milrow who can really hurt you both ways, right? Like that's, mm-hmm. they, they saw a number of guys in the PAC 12 this year who can yeah. move around and, and, and throw the ball. And, um, you know, it, 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 it didn't look great at times. They're 13 and oh, so it, it wasn't, it didn't go horribly, yeah. <laughs> but they're, you know, I, th- that's always an added challenge. So, you know, I, <laughs> I always feel like Jalen Milrow is a younger version of Caleb Williams, except the entire team is competent as well. Um, you know, <laughs> it's like, and we saw how that game went with USC. I mean, they won, but it was, woo. uh, <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. That's it, it's, it's interesting, but you know, we'll, we'll get to that stage if we get to it and, and it'll be a fascinating one. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Christian. It was a pleasure having you um, as part of this. And um, for those of you listening, please be sure to check out his great website on Mont Lake. It's a site and newsletter dedicated to the Huskies football. Check out the Say You Say Pod podcast. And you can always find him on X at Christian Capel. You know, very straightforward at Christian Capel. So um, it's not like a lot of us who have to come up with all sorts of creative ways. But thanks so much for joining us. All right. Thank you. This was great. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
go to your happy price, Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Well, that was a great conversation with Christian. Um, it's good to hear because I feel like in a lot of ways, Washington is almost the forgotten member of this of this final four. I mean, we all know who they are. We all know the Pac-12 chance. We've seen games of them. But it's always hard to get good information on the Huskies. You know, Shahan, what did you what were your takeaways in this? I mean, how do you feel about the Huskies heading into the Sugar Bowl after this talk? Yeah, it was a really good conversation. And, you know, for me, I think that Washington is definitely the program that I probably understood the least in some ways. I've obviously watched them very closely, but I do feel like it was a great opportunity to to learn more. And you know, I, I do really like what I heard from obviously an offensive line perspective, how old these guys are, how experienced these guys are, the way that they're going to be used and that they have been used en route to winning the Joe Moore Award. Uh, and I think the other part that I like too is hearing a little bit more about how exactly they plan to use uh, these intermediate passing concepts mixed with obviously trying to sprinkle in some running game as well. Ryan Grubb, their offensive coordinator, has done just such an unbelievable job of keeping teams off balance with the way that he uh, he calls route concepts. He uses the short and mid passing game. And, uh, you know, I, I obviously talked it up a lot. I, I felt like that's one of the reasons that people don't understand that Michael Penix Jr. has been so important to this team. But, uh, you know, I, I am definitely curious to kind of see it. It's funny. It reminds me of our conversation last week with Aaron McMahon from, from Michigan uh, and M Live where he talks so much about getting that intermediate part of the field is going to be an indicator of success for Michigan. I think that that's going to be to a large extent, the indicator as well for Washington, especially as they try to attack a secondary for Texas that could be missing a couple guys. I agree. I mean, and the other thing that, that struck me in this, and we touched on it here and there and got to it a little bit towards the end is how Washington plans to try and use Dylan Johnson to Perhaps, as we discussed, maybe not to the extent they tried to establish against Oregon, but to keep that uh, Texas defense a little bit more honest. At the same time, I can't help but think of how strong the Texas defense has looked, um, especially corralling Ollie Gordon in the Big 12 title game. So they certainly can handle a rushing attack quite well, um, to say nothing again of the, of the, the excellent pressure they give on that, on that line with Sweat and Murphy. But... Man, it, the thing is, one of the other factors I think that also struck me, and, and he acknowledged it as well, is this mystery magic that seems to be in, and because I mean, we always ask, what's that X factor? Why does Washington keep pulling rabbits out of its hat to become 13-0 with some of these victories? And I think he, hit, he touched on an important part. It's the defense. The defense, which is probably the least respected of the four in the college football playoff has managed, though, at times to pull off plays when they need it, whether against Arizona State in the pick six. But not just that. In other games where they need a key stop, they'll get that key, you know, fourth down uh, fourth down uh, stop. They'll get moments where they'll get turnovers, with where they'll get um, pressure. And, and consistently, if you look at the numbers, they don't seem as strong as they are. But that defense has managed to keep them in games and seeing them against Quinn Ewers 
against you know the receivers that they're going to see against the tight ends they're going to see. I'm absolutely fascinated to see if they can pull another rabbit out of their hat. And I, it's a weird way to put it. I mean, I think even you know their former coach Chris Peterson. I was reading an interview with him, and he's like, "Yeah, it's this is the the Washington defense is the ultimate example of the stats don't matter because they managed to to have some of these key moments that keep them in the games and and allow the offense to do the rest." And I'm going to be fascinated to see how that plays out in the Sugar Bowl. No, I think that the other part that's going to be so big is ultimately, I mean, Brian Grubb or Steve Sarkeesian, these are two of the best play callers in all of college football on the offensive side of the ball. And we're talking about a legitimate chess match, the way that they're going to use misdirection, the way that they're going to try and use different playmakers. And maybe we haven't seen before, you know, again, Jalen McMillan was a player who came back in the Pac-12 title game and really destroyed Oregon underneath. That was something that they weren't really prepared for the same kind of way. So I'm fascinated to see I said it before. I feel like Texas versus Washington could be the national championship game and the winner could just beat whoever comes up next. Washington versus Alabama would be an interesting matchup just because Alabama has the ability to man up Washington's receivers in a different kind of way. But I don't know, man. This this is going to be one of the great playoff games that I think we're going to see. Absolutely. I think it's going to be fireworks. I think in terms of pound-for-pound entertainment of the two semifinals. That's the one I would circle if I just wanted to see fun football. I think that's the one for the most fun football, and I think Michigan-Alabama is going to be a great game, but it's going to be a lot more serious and potentially more of a low-scoring affair. But uh, with Washington-Texas, as much as we're talking about these defenses, I think neither is going to be able to completely contain the other. So it's going to be a great I mean, maybe that'll be it. One of those two defenses will just have that right moment where they trip up the offense on the other side, and that'll be the deciding factor. So it's going to be a good one. I can't wait. Well, just wanted to take a moment to thank all of you for listening. We wanted to thank Christian Capel. As we said, you can find him on On Mont Lake, his site dedicated to the uh, just great insightful reporting on the Washington Huskies. His Say Who, Say Pod podcast is all about Washington football. And again, you can find him on uh, Twitter at Christian Capel. And I wanted to thank our producer, Joey Alaberti. Be sure, if you get a chance, to like, rate, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. They really help people find us. We enjoy you as part of our audience. You can find us on X and TikTok at CFB Survivor Show. Uh, he's Shahan Jayaraja. You can find his work at CBSSports.com and Shahan Jayaraja on X and TikTok. I'm Bob Ekhairi. I'm part of the team that runs Reddit CFB on the Twitters. Thanks for listening, everyone. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line.